encouraging us to not only know who we are, but be content with who we are. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. It's one thing to say, I know who I am in Christ, and it's a wonderful thing to learn who you are in Jesus. We've taught on that deeply here in this church. And it's a great thing to see someone else in their life, but you've got to come to that conclusion, have an honest estimate of yourself. I'm okay with who God's made me. I know he's changing things in my life. I know there's things he wants to root out I need to grow in. He's not saying that. It's just being settled and content with who you are. You're not someone else. You're you, and it's a good thing. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Comparing ourselves with one another can lead to discouragement or something far worse. So as it's been well said, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. We'll get some help with that today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're pressing on in our study of Romans chapter 12, picking up in verse 3. Here now to introduce us to and illustrate this very relevant topic is Pastor Ed. You ever feel like you would want to be like so-and-so? I mean, you look at that guy, and he's such a good communicator that you say, man, if I was a communicator like that, wow, that would be so cool. Or you look over there and you see, man, that gal, she can sing, and I wish if I just had a voice like her, wow, that would be so, so wonderful. Or, you know, if I could just have that thing, that they have. If I just had that thing, it would fit perfect. I would be complete if I just had that thing that he has. Or, you know, if I could just have those clothes, or if I could just get those grades, if I could... Well, it's crazy. It's a crazy way to live your life, comparing yourself with others. It's just a crazy way. Oh, if I could just, and if I could just, if I could just. It's crazy. You know, it's not unusual for that to happen within the church world, too, especially among pastors. I just got back from a wonderful time uh, of a senior pastor's conference in Southern California, Monday through Thursday. Thousands of guys come together from Calvary's around the world. We're encouraged, we're built up, we're strengthened. It's a blessed time of study and a blessed time of gathering together for fellowship, but it gets crazy among some as they begin to compare their churches with one another. And you'll hear talk, unfortunately, about buildings and bodies. And you'll hear talk about people that are looking at, oh, well, how much is your offering? And all this weird, goofy, crazy stuff. Comparing and contrasting. I mean, a pastor can get really discouraged for a variety of reasons, but the size of the church really does get a guy. It can get a guy going forward where the church is growing and they get too high-minded or it can get a guy where their church isn't growing and, and then they get around other churches, you know, other pastors and they start comparing, well, you know, well, how many's coming to your church? Oh, you know, five, six thousand. You know, well, that's more of the people than live in my town for some. And then they get, bu- they get bummed out. 
The Lord really blessed me on the plane ride back because, you know, for me in planes, I just, I put my headphones on, I go to sleep. That's, that's what I, I just want to go to sleep. It's a restful time. I'm not big talker. So what does God do? He always puts me in a chair <laughs> next to talkers, which is great. Going home, it was cool. I had, I was sitting right next to these two guys that were Calvary Chapel pastors from Idaho. It was great. You know, one guy's in a town. He's churches about 50 people on a typical Sunday. Everyone. I mean, that's everyone. 50 people, and that's what he's called to do. And the other guy, a little bit smaller than that. But I began to talk to him because I want to know. I want to hear from them. So uh, tell me what that's like, and tell me what your town's like. What's it like in tourist season? What's it like in the, in the wintertime? You know, holiday. What's it like? And as they begin to share, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. I was telling them, I mean, I concluded, I said, you know what? In eternity, guys, you guys are going to be like at the front of the line in faithfulness, man. Because they didn't complain about it. They didn't whine about it. They didn't say, oh, I wish and I wish. They said, I'm so satisfied. One brother's working three jobs to pastor these 50 people. And he's still looking for more. Just so that he can be a faithful guy, stay in that community and serve in that community. And you know, if he doesn't guard his heart... He could be talking to someone that has a far greater church than the town that he's in, and he could be really bummed out if he starts to compare and contrast. But that's not where his heart is. He was greatly such a wonderful encouragement to me. I'm going to stay in touch with him and encourage him and pray for him. I'm looking forward to it. You know, for me as a church planner coming to Aurora, it's easy to fall into that stuff. I have been in the flesh in that area many, many, many times. I mean, it doesn't take much to trip me up in that area. You know, I remember the time the lady called and wanted directions to the church, and I was the one answering the phone at the time. And it was forwarded to my cell phone, and I'd answer it wherever I was. Hey, Calvary Chapel. Hey, you know, and where are you guys meeting? What are your service times? Well, we don't have service times. We have service time. We meet at 10 o'clock at a school. Oh, yeah, the school? Where is that at? And I gave the directions at Columbia Middle School over here, and, and she said, you guys... You guys meet in a school? And I said, yeah, we meet in a school. And she says, uh, and you're on the radio, right? Yeah, yeah, we're on the radio. We're that church. And I thought she was kind of wanting me to explain things to her. So I explained things to her. And at the end, she said, you guys, you guys meet in a school? And I said, yes, we meet in a school. And, and you're on the radio, right? Yes, we're on the radio. She says, but, you know, you meet in a school, right? Yes, we meet in a school. And then she says something like, you know, you sound like a real church on the radio. You guys laugh, but it wasn't funny. <laughs> it came to mind recently because I cro went cross town to Gino Geraci, who told me when I moved here that any time I needed to come or talk to him, he would make time for me. And so I needed someone to make time for me that day. I drove cross town and sat in his office, and, and I said, hey, this lady just said we're not a real church, man. <laughs> We sound like a real, what's that mean? And what is that? And he says, well, Ed, are people getting saved? And I said, well, you know, not really. There's not really a lot of people getting saved. Maybe one since we got here. Well, well our marriage is being saved, you know, rescued. Yeah, you know, God's moving among marriages. God's moving among the kids. And he went through a series of questions where he finally just said, well, Ed, you're a real church. You can go now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yes. And I've gone through different types of, things in my own heart regarding comparing and contrasting and issues and things that are going on. And, you know, I, I've even gone through phases where you'll hear guys on the radio like, like Pastor Chuck Swindoll and they go, oh, 
if I could just teach like Chuck Swindoll, I mean, man, I could reach so many more people. Or in my own life, if I could just teach like Pastor Chuck Smith, that would be the best. But there's only one problem. I'm not a Chuck. I'm an Ed. (laughs) And that's the way it is. And if you fall into that trap of comparing and contrasting, well, well, let me tell you, it's sin. Ed, that's pretty harsh. It's sin. No, no, it's sin. It's foolishness. Let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Would you turn there? I mean, it's something, this comparing and contrasting in our lives, you can get drunk in it. You can just be carried off with it. Whether you're a church planter or you're comparing, well, my sister, she does so much better than me and I wish I could be like my sister. Don't. Or I wish I could do things like my neighbor. I wish I could have that. Or man, that guy at work, he just always gets the promotion. I wish I could get that promotion, but maybe that's not God's will for you. You're you. You're not them. And to compare ourselves, we'll notice verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. And Paul's sort of defending himself to those that were putting him down. And he describes them at the second half of that verse. He says, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. It's foolishness for us to do that. It doesn't lead to anything. And that's what Paul's saying right here as we jump into Romans 12 and we start to learn about spiritual gifts. In verse 3 he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone among you, whether it's you or me, in whatever state of life, to all of us among you, this is what the Spirit says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. You see, you can get drunk in these things and not be sober. You can be carried away and under the influence of all these comparing and contrasting things. And Paul says, think soberly. Have a good estimation of yourself. Think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You can circle that word soberly if you'd like and you can write next to it or in the margins. Honest estimate. Or another way of translating this word would be good judgment. The idea is that you're going to look at yourself. You're going to look at yourself and say, I am me. I'm me who God's created. I'm not him. I'm not her, and that's okay. We do a good job up to the end there. I don't think there's much debate going on of saying, you're you and I'm me. I mean, we learned that on Sesame Street, right? You are you and I am me, whatever that song was. We learned that. That's cool. I realize I am who I am by the grace of God. You are who you are by the grace of God. But the problem is we don't settle on, I'm okay with that. I'm all right. I am who I am. I'm not going to be Pastor Chuck Smith. I'm not going to be Pastor Chuck Swindoll. I'm just going to be Ed, and I'm fine with that. I'm okay with what God's doing in my life. It's all right. I'm just going to be who God's made me to be. So it's one thing to say I know who I am in Christ, and it's a wonderful thing to learn who you are in Jesus. We've taught on that deeply here in this church. And it's a great thing to see someone else in their life, but you've got to come to that conclusion, have an honest estimate of yourself, I'm okay with who God's made me. I know he's changing things in my life. I know there's things he wants to root out I need to grow in. He's not saying that. It's just being settled and content with who you are. You're not someone else. You're you, and it's a good thing. I mean, think of it this way, literally. No one else on the planet Earth is you. You are uniquely you. And all of us are saying, amen. 
That's great. I'm glad there's not two or three of you. There's just one. A lot of times you might get really frustrated with people in life and you go, well, I wish the whole world was like me. No, you don't. Because you'd get on your own nerves, man. You just, it'd just be a frustrating experience. You don't want everyone in the world. God is so wonderful in diversity. Diversity in your ethnicity, diversity in where you grew up, the kind of family you have. Economically, there's such a great, wonderful, beautiful thing in diversity that you don't want everybody to be just like you. You want to embrace the changes and the uniqueness in everyone because notice verse 4, we'll get to it in, in studies ahead, but we have many members, he says, in one body. And now, so we don't have multiple hands. You know, everything, we got a hand that's connected to a wrist, connected to an arm, because God designed it that way. But not all the members have the same function. It's the same way in humanity. So as we get into the spiritual gifts, understand that God has uniquely gifted you and blessed you. You can go back to verse 3 with me, that word grace right there, where Paul says, for I say through the grace given to me, you can circle that word too. It's the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It might be familiar to you because we use it in the English often when we use and speak about the charismatic gifts. That's where this word, that word comes from. And so this word charis literally means to have a spiritual endowment or a spiritual gift from God. Paul says, listen, the spiritual gift that God's given to me, I'm sharing with you. And so all of us have been given this spiritual endowment, this spiritual gift that makes us unique. Some of you, some of you have this spiritual endowment that leans you toward music. You are musically gifted. And many of us are jealous of you for that. And you're just so good at it. You can read the music. You actually understand what all that stuff means. Like all these marks, it doesn't, it's like reading Greek to me. I just like, whoa, I don't understand. And you can read it. You know what it means. You can not only read it, but you can write it because that's how God's made you. Now, others of you, you're musically gifted, but you can't read music. I got a friend in California. He can listen to a song one time. That's all he needs. Just play it for me. I could play it for him on the radio. I could do it on the phone. I could just play the CD over the phone and he can pick it up right away. And he could play the song forever just by listening to it because that's where he's gifted. He has this natural spiritual endowment from the Lord toward music. Others of you, you're not musically gifted at all, but you're more intellectually gifted. You're just smart. You can figure things out. You can see God has made you. I mean, some of you, you live in the category according to the Lord. You are a genius, and God uses you that way. Others of you, you are gifted in the realm of science. You're engineers, and, or maybe you're biologists, or you're teachers, and you're scientifically, I mean, your head is just that, wrapped around science, and you're just gifted that way. And some of you are gifted in the realm of athletics. You're just, every sport you play, you are like so good. It's like after you got the athletic gift, all of us had to walk away. We didn't get it, man. We just, he got it all, you know? She got it all. She's so athletic. And that's how God has made you. And when you realize the grace or the endowment on your life has been coupled with, well, notice he says at the end, God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. So you, everyone has that gift, and then everyone is endowed with faith. So that gift, that spiritual endowment, is coupled with the faith to exercise it. And that's going to be the entirety of our time in our studies from now through the next couple verses as we highlight every single spiritual gift one by one. So all of us have been given a grace gift. Grace is the gift and faith is the conviction to employ the gift. And so here it is. God made me this way. I believe it and I serve him. 
But here's the problem. The problem's highlighted in verse 3. We don't always think soberly of ourselves. We see, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That, my friend, is a two-way street, thinking highly of yourself. Thinking highly of yourself is a two-way street, and the name of that street is pride. And so when you're thinking too highly of yourself, you can certainly go the route of saying, well, you know, that's too, too beneath me, and, and we'll get to that in a moment. Or what I have found, thinking too highly of yourself also plays into, well, having a false humility about yourself. Oh, God could never use me. God could never, what, could I, what do I have to offer? Who am I? And Paul says, you want to know who you are? You're a child of the king, who Jesus Christ, he died for the, to forgive you of your sins and to draw you into a relate. That's who you are. You're a man, you're a woman who God loves, who God has gifted, who God has given faith to. And he says, here, think soberly of yourself. Don't think too high of yourself. And also, don't think too low of yourself. And it's interesting how many people will wiggle out of God's plan. And one way that I see people all the time wiggle out of what God wants to do in your life is by offering excuses. And I'll just say right now, as a pastor, I am tired of hearing excuses. There's no need for it. I don't want to hear any more excuses. I want to see you obey God. That's my heart for you. I've taught my kids. I've taught leaders here. I taught staff here with excuses. If you get good at making excuses, which you can, you can get really good at making excuses. I mean, someone can come to you and say, hey, such and such and so and so, and your first response is an excuse, which is very easy to do. If you get good at making excuses, listen, church, that's all you'll be good for. Every time God wants to do a new work in your life, you've got an excuse of why he can't. Every time God wants to refine something in you and convict you of some sin, you've got an excuse. You've got a good reason. Hey, brother, such and such and so and so. Well, you know. No, I don't know. No, I don't know. All I know is I see this in your life. I don't know why. And I don't even want to know why. I just want you to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ where excuses are not accepted. Oh, come on, Ed. Are you serious? Excuses aren't accepted with God? Well, let me show you a picture of that. You ready? Exodus chapter 3. Moses called by God is the excuse master in the Old Testament. And I want to show you that God doesn't deal with excuses. He doesn't receive them and go, oh, oh, I want to use you greatly. And you've got excuses. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I'll never want to use you again. That's not God's heart for you. He wants you and I to step up into the grace gift that he's given us. And it's going to be great. It's such good timing for us as a church. We've got this servants class coming up that every single one of you should set aside Thursday nights for six weeks and get involved in. There's no reason, no excuse. There really is no excuse for you not to be involved in it at all. It'll be good for you. It'll encourage you. It'll strengthen you. And along the way, here on the weekends, we're going to learn each of the gifts one by one so that by the time we're done looking at the spiritual gifts, not only will you know the gift that God has given you, but you'll also know how to exercise it and where to exercise it within the body. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm already, I'm already looking at those studies and I'm like bursting at the seams wanting to deliver them, but we've got to deliver them in order. And so we'll get there when we get there. And yet Moses is like Mr. Excuse Man. In the beginning of chapter 3, he gets this burning bush experience. Can you imagine what it's like to have God speak to you through a bush that doesn't burn up? I mean, you're just waking up. It's Saturday morning. 
you're getting the weed whacker out, you're going to mow the lawn, and you're in the back, man, is, my, is that on fire? And you're like, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And as you're out looking at it, it says, hello. <laughs> and you're like, well, hello to you, you know? And it's God speaking to you saying, I have a plan for you. And after you see a burning bush, don't you think that would be enough? Like, whatever you want, God. Just like, hey, whatever you want, I am here for you. But Moses, he gets the burning bush. I mean, what more do you need? Do you need a, your neighbor's donkey to come over and start talking to you too? I mean, what else do we need for God to speak to us? But Moses, as he's enlisted in the ministry, he is offering excuse after excuse after excuse. And we'll pick up and read chapter 3 in its entirety for homework. But we'll pick up in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 3. It's been 40 years now since Moses ran away. He was such a prideful man. He's going to take things into his own hands. He kills the Egyptian. 40 years of schooling on the backside of the desert. And often that's what God will do. He tends to send us to the wilderness to teach us. Well, that's where Moses has been. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And you would expect, and I would expect, that verse 11 would say, but Moses said to God, let's go. You talk to me in a bush, you know. You've been faithful to me for 80 years. Let's go. I hear you, God, but it's not. And we see at least five excuses here. You can jot them down if you like. Five excuses. You may have five that you lean on all the time. You might have ten. You might just have one that you go back to all the time of why you don't serve God, why you don't give of your tithes and offerings, why you don't help somebody in your name. Whatever it might be that God is bringing you into someone's life, you might have the same excuses. I mean, think about it this way. If you have a call to the mission field right now, like God has already made that clear, why aren't you gone? Why aren't you gone? What is it? Do we need to prepare you and help you? We'll be, do it. We'll be ready to do that. But if God has put a calling a missionary on you, why are you still here? It's time to go. If God has ministered to you and spoken to you, go to talk to your neighbor down the street. Why haven't you spoken to them yet? If you've seen the same lady at the cash register at King Supers, and God is impressed upon your heart to talk to her about her life. Why haven't you done it yet? What excuse have you developed for God? What is it that you're telling him? Oh, God, you know, no, 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 no. And it just gets tiring. What do you mean, no, no, no? It's so tiring. You're missing out. But we're missing out. Like you're gifted. You've been put in this fellowship family for a reason. We all fit together. But there you are, sitting on your gift. You're not going to use it. It's mine to use, and I don't want to use it. I'm not good enough. Why? Well, why what, what, where did that come from? Where did you develop that? What happened? Like you, we haven't even yet to see for some of you where you're gifted. We haven't even begun to see that personality you have blossom. And so let's look at a few of these, maybe... Some of them are yours. The first excuse in verse 11 is, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So the first excuse is, Who am I? 
We're just about out of time for this edition of Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Before we wrap things up, I do want to mention a few things that may be of interest to you. For those who would like to hear this study from Romans again, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also have an app, and that's a great way to catch Abounding Grace when it's most convenient. Listen to us on your mobile device. You can download it for free when you search for Calvary Aurora. There's a lot that goes into making all this happen, as you might imagine, and we look to the Lord to provide and guide. And if He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either monthly support or a one-time donation, first of all, thank you. And second, we'd like to send you something as a tangible expression of our gratitude. When you give $25 or more, you're invited to request Don Stewart's excellent book, 25 Signs We Are Near the End. In these difficult days, many are wondering how close we are to the end. Well, Don Stewart looks to the Bible to help you answer that. He believes there are 25 signs that would suggest we are near the end, like the miracle of Israel's survival, the preparations being made to build the third temple. The stage is also being set for the Ezekiel 38 and 39 invasion. Read all about it in 25 Signs We Are Near the End. Just call 877-30-GRACE and we can take your request. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. There's much more to come in Romans, so try to set aside a half hour each day to join us for Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor relates the truths we find here to everyday living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.